Welcome to the WDND Roleplay Radio Podcast. My name is Cliff. Hey y'all, this is Jason. Hope everyone is having a great 2023 so far. So we're going to get into some interesting topics today. So let's get it started. What we got, Cliff? Well, we're briefly going to touch on the OGL and how they made this grand decision to release Dungeons and Dragons as part of the Creative Commons. We're going to also discuss brand loyalty, and then we're going to kick off what I hope to be the first of many micro-debates. We're going to be talking about modules versus GM-created adventures. All righty then, so sounds very interesting. Hope y'all continue to listen, and let's get on to this, the OGL nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well... That's a good name. That's a good term for it, man. The nightmare. I mean, uh, it kind of like hit everybody out of the blue with with like furtive little whispers from the boardroom and people being like, "Oh no, it's okay. It's not that bad." And then it really come and hit you with the second draft, which was even worse in many ways than the first mm-hmm. one. So. But yeah, it does feel like we've woken up from the nightmare and they've, the uh, higher ups at the boardroom of Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast have decided that the best course of action is to just let the fans have the product, you know, and, and by releasing it with the provisions of the creative commons, that's, that's pretty much what they've done, that they can still sell the books and... Mm -hmm everything else but you know the genie is out of the bottle once they've put that irrevocable creative commons clause onto D like they've done now and i think fans came through they spoke definitely mine they've talked about it numerous podcasts have done it including ourselves um one in particular dice is our screaming podcast the dice is screaming <laughs> podcast they have been talking about it and they make it a they made it an OGL segment, and then they go into whatever else they were talking about. So shout out to them. My friend Chris Hudson put me on to them. They're really cool. Check them out. They're also on Anchor like we are. So check them out. Find them where fine podcasts are listened to. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yeah, before we go off of this topic too much, one of the things that I found equally hilarious and sad is that when they released everything, you know, when they when they released it into the wild, they released stuff that was owned like intellectual property by D and D. So like mm-hmm. they, they can't copyright fighter and wizard, you know, those things are just words <laughs> that describe a job. Can't do that with Paladin either. You know, I think King Arthur would sue them if they decided to try to do that. But there are some monsters that are straight up created by Dungeons and Dragons don't have a, a strong argument for to be able to say that they came from specific folklore. Mm. And uh, they just released them too. 
I mean, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons cannot copyright skeletons and ghosts and goblins. Mm-hmm. But they sure as hell could have done that with, I guess, Mind Flayers and Abolesce and things like that. Yeah, right. There, there's, like, specific things that they could have kept in their personal toy box. And they didn't. So it was kind of like the house is on fire. Throw everything in the yard and hope that the fans won't abandon us totally. So but that's then they didn't the main throw, thing. They, they, but they didn't throw a fortresser into the yard. I'm, I'm still... They didn't? No. They didn't like, that. <laughs> like, that's... That, like they released the information for the DMG, the monsters manual, and the player's handbook, and, and that's why like there's some monsters in the DMG. I mean, I'm sorry, the monsters manual that would be considered like original property, original creations of TSR originally, and now that's held by Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro. But they didn't put Tasha's or Eberron into that package deal, which those are the two books that have Artificer. So like. The forgotten thirteenth stepchild class of D and D, you know, it's just it's just still sitting there outside of the bay window, looking at everybody inside at the campfire. Poor right. artificer gets no love. Maybe Keith Baker can come in there and try and grab it, but I doubt it because he had to sign some stuff. Yeah, her, right. Dude. Yeah, he, he's a uh, artificer gets a lot of love from the players, but <laughs> it's, it's almost like they put out the book for third ed, and then they brought in the idea of the artificer in dungeons i mean in uh, eberron and then mm-hmm. now here we are two editions later and they publish the classes and it's like what you start the class area and it goes straight to b it just totally skips over the a for artificer i just i feel like they left out an entire letter of the alphabet it's like oh we'll put it out in one of the expansion books source books that's a source book class <laughs> so well i think that finally that whole mess can be put to rest until the next time somebody over there tries to get all corporate and say, hey, we are we need to make more money and we need to start trying to gouge people for dollars and cents. You know, we have people who have been there from the beginning, still loyal to the brand of Dungeons and Dragons. Myself and Claire wasn't there at the beginning, but it was close enough. So there's a lot to be said about the loyalty, you know, in that. You're, you're like one of those proud second-generation Americans. Pretty much. <laughs> second-generation Grognard. You didn't say that. We are that. We are that. Um, Remember first, but we were I like, yeah, I, I do. But yeah, <laughs> I, didn't, I, I, I didn't get into the rules that much. I just started rolling dice. I said, I hit it. And they told me to roll dice, and that's what I did. Yeah, I, I got into the hobby late, and there, there, was, mm-hmm. there was nobody around home that was rolling dice to play this kind of stuff. So I was, I was lucky my mom and dad let me play superhero games. You know, any, anything that, that might've had the mention of demons and magic and everything. <laughs> Our parents didn't care as long as we're in the house. Right. <laughs> get, get in, we get in the house, house by, when the lights turn on. We were in the house when the lights were on. I mean, we, we came home from school and we pretty much did that. If I mean, if it wasn't like, playing football in the street it, we was at either you know big shout out to i gotta shout them out my friends from hempstead new york chris pasela and michael mcdonald we played over either chris's house or over at michael's house so big shout out to them for the experience of playing D, learning about it and becoming more invested in this whole genre which brought me to today so big shout out to them while we're doing that that's that's actually a very nice gesture Ronnie McDowell. He was the uh, he was the high school student that 
took pity on the young freshman. And he's like, you like comic books? You know, there's a game about that. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, if it wasn't for people like that, willing to reach out and teach people how to play new games, we would not have a chance to bring new people into the hobby. And, and exactly. you know, we, you, you mentioned it a little bit ago, brand loyalty thing, where people kind of get that, the blinders on. This is the game I know how to play, and it's right. the only game I want to play. And lately, you've had so many people that are like, oh, no, if, if they're going to be like this, screw it. I'm going to Pathfinder. And that's that's a that's a decent attitude. You know, mm-hmm. a willingness to try another system, that's good. It's always good to learn more, you know, find another game that may have a different style or point of view or something, but still has the essence of fantasy or sci-fi or superheroes or whatever the genre you want. There's always something out there and it's good to explore that. And like a a big part of of the role-playing game experience is the interaction with the other players. It being like a cooperative board game that is having a, a crisis of identity with being a um, like a workshop for ad lib, mm-hmm. you know, those um, improv workshops where people will go in and just be given these ridiculous scenarios where, where they have to act them out on stage. That's what D and D is. It's that yeah. with the with a monopoly board in front of you, basically. Um, for the most part, yep. <laughs> And it's changed a lot since the pandemic. And then with the popularity and the recognition that the, the pastime has gotten due to popping up in pop culture and the advent of streaming games online and all, all these games bringing in viewers and then bringing in people, there's a, you've got the online virtual tabletop style games. And then those of us that are lucky enough to actually have played a role-playing game face-to-face where, yeah, it's, you know, and I'm not not specifically calling out anybody that sits at our tables on Fridays and Saturdays, but but there are people that want to hog the spotlight and there's people that want to shy away from the spotlight. And like when you're sitting at a table and you've got people that don't really want the spotlight as a GM and, and like kind of like a, a captain of, of the players, which is a role that I find myself in a lot. Even if even if I try to shy away from my character being the leader, well, see, that's the <laughs> thing. I'm going to try to make the experience at the table as good as possible for everybody, even if my character isn't the leader. You know, right. I, I, I want it to be fun for everybody. And I will purposely, when we're sitting there face-to-face, try to create situations that drag other people into roleplay so that they can get their character more into the story you know breathe some life into those stats on that piece of paper and that's that's easier to do when you're sitting there face to face versus like a chat room that's that's a huge difference yeah well even at the table now i'm seeing the disengagement sometimes you know especially with phones now and i'm guilty of it too i'll be checking my phone if if it's the spotlight's not on me or whatever or if there's something that's going on that I don't have to be 100% present for, you know, it's good to be paying attention to what's going on in the game, even if your character is not, may not have the knowledge of it or something like that. But I've seen that a lot. Here's something that 
I've seen people talk about doing for dinner. So you go out to eat with a bunch of people. You know, there's six or seven people at dinner table. And a bunch of people will be sitting there while you're eating. And maybe out of the out of the six people, three of them will have their face in their phone half the time. And yeah. there'll be like a couple of people talking. And, you know, in this day and age, it's very hard to disconnect yourself from that instant mainline social media and inter- internet in- info dump that's possible all the time. But if you don't like Twitter, follow us on Twitter. Right, no. right, right. If you're sitting, if you're physically sitting at a table, this is this is something I'd like for people to try. Get poker chips. You go to a dollar store or like the, the game section of your local department store. If, if you're near somewhere that has a department store or if the department store actually sells physical games, they'll probably be close to where the, the video games are in a back corner where they've moved the magazines since nobody reads magazines anymore look look in that mm-hmm. picture. but um when i when i used to run a game table i always had like extra tokens and stuff like that and poker chips are great for this hand out red poker chips to everybody at the table and if they don't touch their phone and keep the poker chip the whole time let there be an XP bump at the end for it. That, and if they if they have their if the, if they pull out their cell phone to check their Twitter or something, boom! You take that chip away from them. They don't get no bonus. Now, if they if they're like, "Hey, can I check my phone to look up such and such so and so? I need to look up a rule on roll tw- on D twenty beyond or whatever." Yeah, that's fine. Like asking the teacher if you can get a hall pass to use the bathroom. That's fine. But, but that also, you know, when you get the call from the significant other, the, the kids, or yeah, whoever. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've got a call. I got a call from my doctor. I need to take this. Yeah, that's fine. Flipping over your phone to see who's calling. I don't think that would. That, but picking up your phone and like suddenly checking out your Instagram feed. Oh my God! Did you see what Kylie Jenner posted? She's so hot right now. No, no, I'm sorry. What's your fucking sorcerer doing? Fuck Kylie Jenner. How are you phrasing this request to the king? You know. <laughs> Yeah. And like I said, we're so guilty. I, look, I'm 100% guilty of that because trust me, the, the stuff we pass around during the game on people's phones, you know, oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, not for this podcast. <laughs> you know, you, you want to talk some real world integration into the virtual tabletop? They, they talk about all these tokens and all these things that you can buy at the marketplace to, to make your game better. Fuck that bullshit. You know what we need? In, in the world of virtual tabletops, we need the exact same program that college institutions use for online testing. I want that thing that locks your browser to the one screen so you can't check your damn textbook on the same computer that you're taking the test. So you ah. you log into the Vault Tabletop RPG, virtual RPG, you suddenly you can't get out. Like, I'm sorry, the GM has not closed the session. You may not close this browser. You may not mm-hmm. open another browser to check Instagram while playing Dungeons & Dragons. You know, that would be, <laughs> would be some nice shit. <laughs> be nice, but the people revolt. Be so well, it, it would. It, it would It would be really nice. I mean, but it's implausible. I would love to challenge people to only open up the browser window you need to access the virtual tabletop. Start a new challenge, the no phone challenge. There we go. <laughs> right. So, are, are you are you ready to dust off our boxing gloves and get into the uh, the the main event, Jason? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Ding ding ding! In this corner, 
We've got Jason Jose, long-time GM. I'd say he's a forever GM, but he occasionally gets to play. Jason has been running Dungeons & Dragons and other role-playing games forever. And Ever. he is not afraid to get his hands dirty by flipping through the pages of a pre-published module. Not at all. And now we have <laughs> Cliff Long, who is a also a long-time GM and player and loves the whole homebrew thing. He loves to create his own characters and own world and all sorts of stuff. So we're going to get into talking about the pros and cons of that and see how you feel about it. You want to chime in, of course, you can always go to our Twitter page. You can answer the poll that I'm going to post and give us your thoughts. So let's get into it. How do we start this? Do we say, hey, I like <laughs> doing pre- I think that's fair. Let's 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 say what we like, the positives, before we start throwing shade at each other. I think you know the least well. we can start politely. <laughs> so <laughs> shade is my bet. Okay, so the reason I am partial to pre-published modules is that I like having that framework. I like having something where it says, okay, this is here, that's there, this is the ultimate goal and i'm not a hundred percent just stay on the the text of the thing i i'm i do like making alterations when necessary making changes sometimes in the middle of a fight um i will <laughs> change something i'll do it i'll i'll increase somebody's hit points because i think you know this fight is going too easy or i will reduce the amount of hit points because i think oh god maybe they're gonna get their butts whipped or something like that i try to use the published stuff that's just like a framework something that gives me more freedom to say okay i can use this i can use that and i can take out what i don't like i can put in some stuff that i would like to see instead of me just starting from scratch because me starting from scratch it hey, a i'm a writer and i've written a book it took me 15 years to write the book so i am notoriously slow when i start projects and stuff like that so that's why i don't do homebrew <laughs> well i I love doing what Jason's calling homebrew. And I'm very meticulous about my wording of that because I, lo I love the Eberron setting and other settings that I've used throughout, you know, over time. So it's not really a homebrew setting that I'm using. I'm just using all the elements that are, exist in the world. And then I'm weaving my story with those elements. And, you know, being a GM that likes to create the adventure path, you have to be cognizant of the fact that you're not writing a novel. So you don't have like the beginning, middle and end of the story. You're creating the story ad hoc out of everything that happened. And in the past, when I've, I've tried to explain this to other people, I always uh, go back to any television show or movie that shows that one, you know, slightly crazy person that has the wall with all of the pictures on it and the red string connecting different things. That's my <laughs> thought process when it comes to creating an adventure. You know, I, I've got the world. And then as the players start to create their story, I really want to collaborate with them and, and make sure that I have a very good idea of what their backstory is. And then I do my damnedest to drop things, kind of like sprinkle them in their path that will 
if not tie in specifically to their backstory, it will be things from their backstory that gives them some purchase on the events. And and yeah, you can do that with a with a prepackaged module, but it's mm-hmm. like buying a car and then spending all that time adding kit to it. You gotta add the add the spoiler, and then I gotta add the tent, and then I gotta add this, and I gotta add that. You know, rather than just like going to the website and picking what you want from the get go. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. it's I, I feel that with a module, one of the other things that they're written for specific level. So if your group out levels it, God help you if if they go side questing and then come back to the module and they've picked up a level. Oh no, now you've got this whole issue where they've upset the apple cart and, and you like you said, you have to go back in and, and do that work. So it, it yeah. seems like to me, you know, a, a module makes a lot of assumptions for the, the party you have to work with. It does do that. There are times when the party doesn't do exactly what the modules thinks that the players would do in that situation. I've had to do some crazy improvisational stuff when characters go left and just come up with the, I mean, good ideas, but it's like, wow, I wasn't expecting that, you know? So you have to still have to think on the fly. Still GM still has to be able to improvise best word for it is to improvise just in case something doesn't go as, you know, the module may say. And as far as campaign worlds, I've tried to do that too. Tried to build a whole new campaign world and I'm not good at drawing maps. They all look like crap. So <laughs> well, that, that is one thing that modules do have that has always been a nice thing in modules back before computers were even if you don't if you game at a gaming table, the ability to find maps online and get a printout and bring it with you to the game table. You know that the the ability to do that within the last twenty years has really changed how accessible some of these accessories and uh, resources are for for the, the hobby in general. And like these days, when people can like drop their tablet there and say, "This is the room that you're going in at a table," that's huge. Back when Jason and I were working together at a, at a game store, it, it was it was Jason's game store. I was the manager. We had carte blanche. We could have done anything we wanted. We literally were planning to take like a giant flat screen TV and implant it in one of those tables. But exactly. it, 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 it was the D, the TVs at the time were just not as not flat as they are now. So it, it wasn't it wasn't quite ready. It wasn't quite time for that yet. It would have been amazing to be able to provide that to to the players at the at the brick and mortar store. Being able to grab a module and have all of the battle maps ready to go, and then you know you might have to like take the dry erase markers and sketch it out on the on the mat in front of you. That's nice. Which is what I do. Actually, I do that on my Saturday game. We are running the module Princes of the Apocalypse, which is a module that they put out for fifth ed and it's on roll 20. So I have um, I borrow my friend's laptop. I pull up the maps and make little tokens for the players and stuff. 
and I show them where they are on the map. Sometimes it's a hassle. I have one person designated as like the caller and which way they're going to move and all that kind of stuff. So they come and look at the map and say, oh, we want to go this way or that way. And then when the fight starts, I draw the battle map on the little table that we have and we take it from there. So it's kind of, we're using kind of both methods in that case. So far it works pretty well. There's um, those of you in, in the new whippersnapper generation of players that have only played on virtual tabletops. Younglings. Younglings. Like that's, that's good. Yeah. Well, well, I say whippersnapper, I actually sound my age. So, um, listen now. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's something we used to do back on the solid table, the, you know, real table, not this virtual table stuff. And it's kind of what Jason's talking about. You, you have like one person that has a token and like, we would use like a, a pawn from like Yahtzee or something. We had like all different types of board game tokens. And like that one token, that little flag moved around the map. That is where the party was. The party, air mm-hmm. quotes, all of you are there. And then off on the side, there would be, and this is something we, that we stole from video games of the era. You, you would determine mm-hmm. the formation, your marching order. And then you would leave the characters in that marching order. And then the token would get moved around. You don't have four to six people individually moving their tokens around all the time. You don't have one person like, oh, I lost you on the map. Where's everybody at? Because they were looking at Instagram. You, Mm. you, You have one person and any, you know, maybe multiple people can move it. But if anybody moves it, that's where the party And then, oh no, well, the ranger is usually 15 foot in front of the party because that's what the marching order says. So they get a chance to spot this and they have to make a stealth check as they come to the corner. Nobody else has been seen yet. They might have heard footsteps because the cleric has got big metal boots. But first off, we're going to see what's going on with the ranger's roles and then we'll, we'll start putting everybody on the table so that that's something we did in person that is really that that's something that kills when you're doing um virtual tabletop uh jason put us through a trap and it, it wasn't like a classic trap it was a floating head that came up and it was shooting like scalding boiling water in like a a, a line like a stream of water like a water hose of boiling yep. water and it would it would move around the room randomly and then it would turn and face a direction randomly and if you've never had a chance to chat with mr jose i'm gonna tell you a secret he's got a catastrophic irrational attraction to random roles for anything if he yeah. wasn't if he wasn't allergic to food he would do that when he goes to restaurants <laughs> he, he would take dice <laughs> with him and just roll and so he'd roll a D10 and like, oh, I guess I'm having a number seven. You know, he, I, I <laughs> but <laughs> he doesn't deny it. I love that. <laughs> but, but that, that head floating around and spitting the water, it was, it was a cool feature for a dungeon. It was torture for the players because it burned up turn after turn after turn of us just moving 30 foot or 60 foot through the quote unquote area of effect to see if we, where we were standing when the head decided to spit. And 
in, in a situation like that, I would have I would have paid good money to just use an individual token. And it's like, oh, look, the party is standing in the square will be affected. Everybody roll a D6. <laughs> it's like if you if you roll a two or a four, you get hit. <laughs> no, no bitching. <laughs> it's like, why are we doing it like this? Because it'll save 45 minutes. Just start rolling. You know, just you know, that that's stuff that you can you can do when it comes to you know how you're going to approach some of this stuff. And I know we got off topic. We're supposed to be debating modules versus created adventures, but to me, that's a perfect example of that. Like that's that's something that the GM created, and once it was implemented, like you're sitting there, like, oh, that's a really cool idea that really sucks to deal with, you know. And that's the kind of thing that you can do to yourself when you create stuff as a GM. I feel that you run into that stuff a lot more when you're dealing with a module, you know, especially like a, a module is written in a way that is going to lean heavily toward like stealth and skill checks. And you yeah. got a bunch of like heavy armored clerics and paladins <laughs> that don't have any of the stealth stuff, you know, the clank clank brigade, you know, in our, in our group, we don't even have a rogue. We've got an artificer and a ranger. And depending on what we're doing in D and D on Fridays, the best way for us to pick a lock is to have my super strong guy just break the door. I mean, there's traps be damned. And like I said, I was doing princes of the apocalypse and it wasn't the greatest written module. See, do you have to worry about how they put stuff in this, in these modules too, where they put it? Are you going to be flipping back and forth? How many new monsters are in it? How many new spells are in it? Does you got to keep flipping back does and forth? Got to look for. Does it have the, does it have the stuff down at the bottom? If your paladin has died, turn back to page twelve in your choose your own adventure book. No. It, it doesn't do that. <laughs> no. And, and Jason, I, I gotta mm-hmm. say, um, the, would you say this? Princes of the apocalypse. It always sounds to me like you're saying princess of the apocalypse. So I'm thinking this is like a oh, really? new villain for Sailor Moon or something. No, <laughs> princess of the apocalypse. Yeah. You know, that's what it sounds like to me. Yes. It was probably better if it was that. But I mean, it's it's, it's not the greatest module, and that's the more I've been running it, it's not a cup of tea. Plus, I'm trying to. It's it takes place in Forgotten Realms, like you know, every module they put out for fifth, pretty much, and I'm trying to adapted for Ebron, which is another pain in the butt. So that was like two strikes on it, but we gave it the best shot we could. I think we're going to conclude hey, it. <laughs> it had maps and encounters built into it, so yay. <laughs> so, hey, sometimes the way to go is like a homebrew. If if it's something like, like I like Ebron. I know you you like Ebron, yes, too. Yes, we, we are Ebron fans here on this podcast. Eberron yes. e- yes, has a fond, uh, it's fondly thought of. It has a home place here. This is a safe place for mm-hmm. Eberron fans. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. It is. Everybody Absolutely. Come on through because it's you can take it so many different it's places. Been. It doesn't have the length of historical lore like Forgotten Realms does. People can't go talk about, well, I, I read in this book that someone, someone, so and so. But look. It kind of does. I mean, well, it doesn't have as much. It doesn't. It, Ebron only put on. Like, you're, you're saying you're saying it doesn't have as much established canon lore because it, it doesn't have as much printed material. 
I'm just talking about like right, right. That's that's what I'm talking about. Where they can say, well, in, in, in book so and so, Elminster did blah 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 blah. You know, and everything's supposed. To, but yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you for that. I think I think uh, pretty soon we're we're gonna have to just come. We're just gonna have to come out and let everybody know how much we love everyone. Oh exactly. my gosh, I mean, we can do a that's whole. What, that's next week. My promise will be Jason and me in honor of it being Valentine's Day. We are going to do a podcast that is straight up a love letter to Eberron. Hey, that's, we can do that. That's our plan for next week. Why? <laughs> this is Eberron, and we He's love that's why us. He, and do a shout out to, to, to the man in the cowboy hat himself. Mm-hmm. And that he, if, you, if you're not a fan of Eberron, Keith Baker the original progenitor of, of what Eberron is. He's, he's the guy that won mm-hmm. the contest to get it developed. I think right. he was like a freelancer, like a, just, just, he was, a, he did writing for the, the company, mm-hmm. for, but he pitched their idea and, and a couple other people in, in some of the creative teams came in and they, they added it up. They punched it up after his made it through the selection process, but he has stayed such an active voice in Eberron to this day. Yeah. You know, he, he mm-hmm. constantly answering questions about it. It's unlike a certain other creative person involved in Dungeons and Dragons who gets on Twitter and answers questions with the voice Jay. of God. If you disagree with me, you are wrong. Not that I'm saying. And it's not like his initials would line up with Jesus Christ or anything. There wouldn't be anything oh, no. like that where there's some type of like Christ like connection or something. But Keith Baker, my, my personal ball cap off to him and his cowboy hat. One of the things I love about Keith Baker is he constantly says, this is how I would do it in my Eberron. Every exactly. team's Eberron should be suited to the table that they want to run and the players that they have. Mm-hmm. That and, and for being yeah. like the creator of something, having that type of attitude for your creation is, is just amazing. And it makes me want to listen to him more and more. So yeah, next week is going to be uh, why we love everyone. Let us count. Let why me count the ways. And we will. And I have so many stories about Ebron. It's just it's, I've run so many campaigns in third ed, fifth ed. You know everything. Three five. Everything. Fourth. So we'll get to that. Fourth? No. <laughs> fourth. No. We don't. We don't know that. We the don't dark know ages. We don't know her. We, we, call, we, don't four, know we call fourth oh, edition the dark ages. Yeah, fourth edition was. Yeah, we don't remember. I think I read the player's handbook and that was enough and I was done. I said, nope, we're staying with 3-5 until we until, fall until off the, the rails. Until with the that. pages fall off the books? Mm-hmm. They did fall off the books. I mean, not that we'd be guilty. They did. Yeah. It's not like we're playing a 20-something-year-old superhero system for fun. <laughs> exactly. So we have many, many more topics to speak about. We're going to continue on um, and we'll do this special Ebron episode next week and give us your thoughts on this episode and how you feel about you know homebrew versus um, the published adventures published campaigns and we'd love to hear from you so make sure you follow us on twitter and make sure that you check us out next time and if you like what we're saying make sure to like and subscribe and hit that notification bell and if you want to reach out to us, share your ideas and become part of this conversation. All righty. So we are the WD&D Roleplay Radio Podcast. We are signing out for this week. And y'all enjoy it.